You're listening to the Automation Solution Podcast, where we provide innovative, value-added, smart technology solutions that automate and optimize manufacturing processes for customers seeking excellence. Regardless of your role, we'll share valuable solutions for you to apply within your area of responsibility. And now, your host, Director of Business Development for Robex, Craig Francisco. Hey everybody, it's Craig Francisco. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. The interview that I'm going to have with Rick Hauchek excites me beyond belief. Rick is a good, not only a good friend of mine, but Rick is probably one of the most successful entrepreneurs that I know personally, um, you know, across the globe. So Rick is the president of Soar with Eagles Incorporated. He's a nationally known speaker, leadership coach. He's an author of 22 books and counting. He has spent time with thousands of companies and thousands of CEOs and leaders, again, across North America, also overseas as well, focusing on a lot of different topics. But really his ultimate goal and his passion is helping ambitious leaders and teams be successful, self-motivated achievers, and he wants them to outperform the field. So with Rick's experience and then with this podcast focused on automation, this to me is a chance to have somebody on the episode that will help you understand how to implement the change because I think that's the most difficult part. Yes, you can come to somebody like Robex or whoever and find a solution that will make your production line run better, but how do you do it? How do you get the buy-in from your team on the floor? How do you get your you know senior management team to approve the project? There's all kinds of communication and leadership that needs to take place when someone's looking to implement change and like, you know, focused on automation. So Rick and I are going to talk through, you know, a lot of what I see to be, you know, the stumbling blocks that leaders have. Rick, again, far much more experienced than myself. He'll share stories with you and his opinion, expert opinion on, on how you can make a difference and do this right. So please listen. This is something you're going to come back to numerous times. It's here for you. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome, Rick, to the Automation Solution Podcast. We're very excited to have you on today. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, you bet. This is, this is special for me, Rick, because this podcast is going to be different from all the others we've done and will do in the future. Typically, what, who I'm interviewing are folks that are in the manufacturing world, and we're talking about automation of some sort whether it's a, a robotic piece, um, autonomous mobile robots, the collaborative robots, but we're, we're typically talking to people that have seen and have a lot of experience with automation and how it impacts manufacturing. But I, I'm, I'm so excited for this interview because outside of the equipment and how you make it happen, there's really a, to drive change, it has to start with the leaders of an organization. And with your expertise, um, you know, thousands of companies, thousands of leaders you've helped coach, I'm excited to kind of get after a few questions that I think will help the listeners. And, and just so you know, the listeners are anywhere from, you know, C-level executives down to, you know, plant floor managers within manufacturing companies. So I think okay. we're going to get a good group of folks that are listening. And I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. So I'm, I'm excited to have you. And this is going to, this will be a lot of fun. I'm excited too. Let's have at it. All right. So first question. So I wanted to ask you, so 
you and I both know, and we all know, the listeners in the call know that change is inevitable. However, you know, some business leaders struggle to succeed when faced with the adversity that change brings with it. So in your expert opinion, why do you think this happens? Wow, um, that's a good place to start. Um, it's a big one, I know. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, adversity by its very nature is scary. And uh, adverse times are the true test of a leader. Uh, you know, anyone who can lead when things are running smoothly, that takes very little skill and virtually no courage. But in times of trouble, the pressure is on. So with adversity comes several things that I think leaders struggle with, like first is the fear of making the wrong decision. Um, and bad decisions have consequences. It, you could You could tank the business. You could lose the respect right. of your employees. You could become the laughing stock in your industry if you do something uh, outrageously stupid and it makes the trade press. You know, another one that uh, seldom gets talked about, but it's very real, is something called imposter syndrome. This is a phenomena that almost every leader faces at some point in his or her career, usually in the early days when you're a first-time leader or manager, and you suddenly realize that people are counting on you and you don't have all the answers. You don't know everything you need to know and they think you do. And and you say, you know, I'm an imposter. As you look in the mirror, you think I'm not as smart as they think I am. And right. someday I'm going to do something stupid and they're going to find out about it and the jig is up. And so this causes leaders to struggle to make decisions. They sometimes get paralyzed and they, they abdicate. Another um, that I see happen quite frequently is, and I talk about this in speeches I give all the time, adversity and change force leaders to inflict pain on their people. So that, uh, that bears some explanation. So let me walk you through this. Kind of follow the yeah, bouncing please. ball here. Adversity okay. for forces change, and change brings with it a natural resistance. People would prefer not to have to change. It makes my job more difficult. Can I just continue to do it the way we've been doing it? And with resistance, that causes anger because now I have to change. I have to learn a new skill. I have to do something different, and it's uncomfortable. And and ultimately, anger creates pain. So when you look at the first and the last, adversity and change forces leaders to inflict pain on their people. And that is uncomfortable for many leaders who don't want to make their people mad at them. So they struggle with making the tough decision that needs to be made. And in the process, they abdicate their role as the leader. Too many want to be comfortable, and they're, they're uncomfortable making the tough choice. And then I, I suppose there's probably a last issue that I see happen too frequently. And when I'm coaching leaders, I have to remind them of this. They focus too much on the adversity itself, the problem, the hardship, the misfortune that's been caused, and they forget to focus on the opportunity for improvement that all adversity brings with it, you know, the silver lining. And when you focus on that, when a leader focuses on the positive and says things like, you know, we've struggled with this before, this is not the first time, this is our chance to make it right, to fix it and never have to deal with this in its ugly form again, you can get people on board with that. But when you get lost in the pain of the adversity, you you just get everybody else to advocate the same pain and it never gets better. So you've got to stay, right. the leader has to stay above it and focus on the good. Now that's, that's a great explanation of, of what you've seen. And I think too, Rick, it's the, 
you know, people get paralyzed because of the fear of, you know, putting themselves out there, like you talked about, trying to, you know, rally the troops. There's a fear of doing that. So sometimes I've seen leaders where they just they'll act like it's not happening and they pray Absolutely. that it just goes away, right? Yeah, ignoring it, yeah. ignoring a problem will make it go away. That happens too many times. It does. It does. Well, so so what are some tools leader can use, leaders can use to help better handle change within their organization? Oh, gosh, I think there are lots of tools. Um, first, I would tell any leader to be an avid student and reader uh, and learner of, of, of tools, which are available in books, articles, uh, podcasts like this, um, uh, mentorship or, or peer groups. Um, there's, you'll find a million tools just by learning from other leaders. One of the best, I think, is that leaders, it's a better way to handle change and adversity and things are always be a problem poser, don't be the problem solver. And we, we get ourselves into, we dig our, a rut for ourselves when we're a leader. We think everyone's expecting me to have the answer, everyone's expecting me to solve the problem. But that, I think that's wrong. That's the wrong approach. First of all, it, it, uh, you don't always have the right answers. That's problem number one. Problem number two is you, you train your people to stop solving their own problems and come to you for the solution, which I never want to do. So if you are a problem poser, you're the person who throws the problem on the table and says, here's what we're facing. Let's, how, do you, how do you think we should deal with this? And I would always be the last person to throw my idea out as the leader. I want to hear everybody else's ideas first. The fun is in solving the problem. It's not in hearing somebody else's solution and then going to implement it. I'm going to resist that. But if I get to right. be a part of the solution, it's a lot more fun. Um, another is always leaders always need to think they got to get themselves above their own personal self-interest and think what's best for the organization, forget what's best for me. And when you do that and you, you utter those words with your people, you, they begin to see that there's a higher purpose that we're all here for. We got to get out of our own selfishness and out of our own way and think what's best for the organization. And, and that's a, that's a very liberating feeling when you're dealing with change. And another is I would, uh, as a leader, I would always be a frequent and clear and regular communicator. The biggest problem I see when I do strategic planning retreats, for example, and I talk in advance to, to team members is we don't communicate. And, and when I talk to the leader, I hear exactly the opposite. I, the leader says, oh, we, we tell our people everything. But when I talk to right. the people, they're, they're hearing nothing. So it's, there's a, there's a, a, a real uh, dysfunction here. Um, another is I, I find leaders, leaders should be praisers, not blamers. And, you know, the best leaders always accept blame for what went wrong and they pass out the praise for the things that go right. But the, you know, the, the leaders who are less evolved do it in reverse and they, they take the credit for the things that go right and they blame others for things that go wrong. So uh, that's, that's a big one. And kind of the summary to these is here's a, here's a really great thing leaders can and do. Before any leader became a leader, they too were an individual contributor and performer and they weren't managing someone. Remember what angered you about change when you were an individual employee and not the leader, and then endeavor to be better when you are the leader. What, when you stop to think about, here's, here's the way leadership screwed it up 
when change occurred, when I was a follower, I'm not going to make that same mistake. So go back into your past, dig through it, and think think it out, and and then figure out ways you can do it better. Oh, that's powerful. I hope I hope the listeners really pay attention to that because that's that's something that even myself I've not done. So I, I do think of reflecting back, you know, however long it, it was, depending on who we're talking to, who's listening, their career, thinking about you know, what they felt like, what they do different and, and, and drive it that way. I think that's, that's fantastic. So this kind of leads in, I think, to the, to the next question. You've worked with, again, thousands of CEOs and C-level leaders throughout really the world. I would like to ask you, when you look back at all your strategic planning and leadership um, training that you've done, what, um, when you look at those leaders, what stands out? So what, what's behind it? You know, how are they able to outperform their peers and succeed well beyond maybe what others in their in- industry is doing? So what, what do they have? What's behind the wheel? What's behind that curtain? So well, that's a great question. Um, among the, you know, I would say the number one thing I find, and this may surprise people, is a very humble nature. I think some people would think, oh, you probably talk about that they they had great charisma and they were outward facing and they they had great integrity. Well, I'll come to integrity, but before that, it's in fact humbleness is a piece of integrity. Um, when I say humble, I mean someone who is not a chest pounding braggadocio, stand on the mountaintop and shout how great I am type of leader, but someone who passes out the credit for what went right to others and almost never takes the credit, you know, almost always says it was, this was a team effort. This was, everybody had a role in this. And I'm going to single out a few people who had better, even better. And they never single out themselves. And yet when things go south, they say, you know, I mismanaged this and, and I don't think I communicated it properly. And, and of course there were other people that made mistakes too, but they don't finger point them. They call it out to themselves. And, when you're a leader like that, uh, anybody will go to the mat for you. So that's a key one. Another is um, leaders who, another tragic mistake often made by too many leaders is they don't communicate and sell the go forward plan, you know, the mission, the vision, the values, the goals of the company. Right. Where are we headed? Who do we want to be when we grow up? And the best leaders are clear about that. They're always selling. Whether they walk into the lunchroom and somebody asks them a question about something, they can tie the answer to some goal, some value, uh, a piece of the mission, and they get a chance to pontificate about the value of where we're headed uh, with a simple question that somebody asked them. Um, they're, they're, they've got stump speeches already in their pocket where they're they're all always ready to talk about where the company's going and the, and the, and the excitement of getting there and, and how, how fun it will be to get there together and win as a team. And when they do that, they, they're, they're inadvertently, but frankly, intentionally selling, selling all that to the employees and it excites them. But some right. leaders keep everything close to the vest. It's like, no, we can't share that with, with the people. And, you know, what you got is a bunch of robots who are just always thinking, going, I don't know what the grand plan is. I know I turn a wrench every day, but I don't know how that contributes to the bigger picture. And people need to be able to connect those dots. So smart leaders always do that. Um, I, I think one true measure of leader success also is 
how well your organization runs when you're not there. And when I speak about a leader, you know, for the record, I'm not just talking about the top leader, not just the owner, the president, the CEO, the entrepreneur. I'm also talking about vice presidents and business unit heads and department managers and floor supervisors and anybody in any organization or team that is a leader and has at least one person reporting to them, these principles apply. So, right. you know, when, when you're not there, if you have to be there to make every decision, I will question whether you're worth it as a leader. Your job is to empower everyone else to make decisions as smart as you would in your absence, armed with the same information you would have. So don't keep them in the dark. Plug them in. Let them know what's going on so that when you're not there, they can say, you know what, we got this. It doesn't matter whether whether you have a customer presentation you have to give and you can't be in the office or whether you're on vacation for two weeks or whether you're just at a doctor's appointment. When you're not there and a decision must be made, the best leaders have teams equipped to make those decisions in their absence. And and it's because they set them up for that kind of success. Those are among some right. of the most important qualities that the best leaders have. Now that's, that's, that's terrific. So, just tying this in, it, let's just put, I want to put you kind of um, in place and let's say you were in charge of a, you know, a large manufacturing company and you were the, you were the, the chief, you were the, the buck stops with you. If you were in charge of implementing, you know, massive change. So let's say a company was going from manual processes to, to automation and there, you know, there's concerns on the floor about jobs. There's, there's all the talk that happens how would you, or what high-level steps would you follow in order to get buy-in across the entire company? So that's a challenge. That's, that's a big challenge. It's a huge challenge. Missed by most leaders, um, sometimes they feel, if I can just get the buy-in of my top leadership team, it can stop there and it can be successful. And the fact is, you've got to bleed it down to all levels. So everybody has to know what their role is in taking it one level down. So here, here's what I would do. Um, whenever possible, and, and I think this is more possible more times than leaders give it credit for, I would always involve the impacted people in the discussion and the decision before the decision is made. In other words, does it really have to be my decision and mine alone? Does it really have to be our leadership team's decision and decision alone? Can we involve other people? If, if we're going to make a decision that is going to uh, impact um, people in one department or five departments, or whether it's because of automation or because of a policy change or uh, a customer dictate, whatever the reason might be, I'd rather call a team of people who are stakeholders in the decision, people who's, who they and their teams will be impacted and say, let's get in a room together. Here's the issue we're facing. I could make this decision on my own, but I'd rather not. I'd rather we talk it through because you know things I don't know. So let's let's all bring our brilliance to the solution of this problem. And there's an old saying, uh, you can't unless people weigh in, they can't buy in. So by getting them to weigh in to the decision making process, you get their buy in as the discussion is taking place and as the decision is being made because they're part of it. And then I don't leave that room until I say, all right, we've made this decision as a team. I want to I hear from everybody. Are you bought into it? And will you execute it with excellence? And will you do nothing to undermine it? 
almost like you know when people fly today if you sit in an exit row they now ask you to ver for a verbal response on are you willing to help in the case of an emergency it used to be they they never came back and said anything and then then there was another phase where they where they just um, assumed you, they would explain it to you, but they didn't ask for it. Now they get you to say, yes, 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 seat by right. seat. And, and I love that model, and I've used it for years where I want somebody to verbally say, I'm on board. So that's key. And then, and then here's the key thing. Once the change is made, I would map out a communication strategy. I would, and I would always follow the who, what, when, where, why, and how formula. So who needs to be told? and who doesn't what order do they need to be told in when do they need to be told what's the precise scripted message we want them to hear who should tell them and i, I would treat it like a military mission you know you synchronize watches everyone has his part you do it on time you do it professionally you do it effectively and what you find is when you implement change thoughtfully and professionally and thoroughly and you do it in the right order at the right time it's not really hard to get buy-in, but if you screw this up, you will have opened a Pandora's box of new problems, and you will have made an already bad situation even worse. No, that's I love it. That is that's excellent. Now, if we flip this, Rick, and and I would tell you, this is probably more eighty percent of the challenges people face. So, and I've seen this across my career. So middle management, even to you know floor management, let's say, a lot of those folks, and I know you disagree with this, but it's, this is the reality, are not included in the strategic plan or the, the change, whatever that change is that the company's gonna go through. In most cases, the decisions happen in a vacuum. It's just the, either the C-level or top leadership together in a room, make decisions, and then all of a sudden they go out and they tell people, here's what you need to do, this is the direction we're going, go make it happen. So if you're one of those, those managers that is unclear of the message or the direction, what do we, what do we tell those folks? What, they, what can they do if this is how the company is run to embrace the change and become a, the, the part of the company's total success? Well, you know, let me approach this, um, as you said, as part of the 80% who, let me kind of put myself in the shoes of the middle manager who's being notified of a major of a major strategy change and and i had no part in deciding it um how should i behave um, we've talked a lot already about how leaders should behave but how should the middle manager behave and in part i do disagree with the fact i think that everybody can be led into the planning process to some extent but at the end of the day who's going to go off site for two days and create the plan it is going to be a smaller group of top leaders sure. so I, we're, we are in lockstep agreement on that part um, but as you emerge from that meeting let's say and you've created strategies that are brand new and you now communicate them down below, uh, and we've talked about that. Now, let me be the middle manager. And if I'm hearing this and I wasn't physically at the meeting, how do I respond? Well, the first thing I would do is I would, I would not show disagreement or disappointment with decisions made. And the reason why is I don't yet know what factors went into making the decision, so I can't yet come to the conclusion that it's wrong. And if I do, it's premature and it shows that frankly that I overreact when I have no information. So frankly, there's probably little chance of me getting a promotion coming with that kind of behavior. Uh, right. I would ask, I would ask lots of why questions and hopefully I would, ex I could expect 
uh, honest and thorough answers. There are leaders who withhold, keep things close to the vest, and they don't want to share. But as a middle manager, I'm going to say, look, if, if you expect me to really be up by into this, which I want to, and I want to sell my team on it, um, then help me understand the why behind it. So not only do I know, but I can explain it to my team. And, and I wouldn't ask those questions with an attitude of anger or disdain, which, the, which assumes that a mistake was made. I, I would ask them with an attitude of curiosity and wonderment, assuming that it was smart. I can always disagree later if I don't hear anything that seems to make sense to me, but I would not right. go in with that assumption. That would, that would brand me as a malcontent. And I would ask other questions also, like, um, you know, out of curiosity, was X taken into account? And what about Y? Did, did that get discussed as well? In other words, I would probe the thoroughness of the decision, again, without assuming stupidity. My intent really right. is to make sure all factors were considered. I want to alert them to factors they may have missed. And also, selfishly, as a manager, a middle manager, I want to let them know that I'm a thought leader who one day soon ought to be invited into the senior strategy team because I think things through. And, and then finally, I think once I'm fully apprised and on board with the decision, and this is important, it's now my role to take it down to my team, to my direct reports, and sell them on it. And I can now explain it to them, armed with answers to questions that they may ask me, I can I can sell them with the intention of getting their buy-in, and, and this this piece is critical because not only do I as a middle manager need to get on board with the new strategy, both heart and soul, but I need to sell my team on it so they have the same passion to execute that I do, and they're not openly sabotaging it or even quietly destroying it under the radar. And and I I would say there's one caveat to this, and that is. None of this can happen if the top leaders who are over the middle managers are not willing to share the why. If they hold it close to the vest, which is their right to do, then my buy-in sure. is tainted, and, and, so, and so is that of my team. And as a middle manager, I'm always willing to be a good soldier and follow orders when necessary, but frankly, I'll be much more passionate about it if I can understand the logic, the rationale, and the sense behind the decision. So top leaders need to factor that into how they unveil the new strategy to middle managers. Now that's, there's a lot of wisdom in, in what you covered there, Rick. So, so thank you. That's, that's excellent. Now the last question I, I want to ask you before we kind of wrap things up and we're going to go real specific to the manufacturing just environment and we'll focus on North America. There's obviously, as you know, you've been around a lot of different businesses across North America. So there's a big move towards automation. We have to, there's a lot of things that have to be automated for number one, there's a labor shortage. So finding quality people that are willing to show up to work every single day and play all out, that, that's tough. Every company I've talked to in the last few years, they're, they're short, you know, maybe double digits in terms of people that they need. So they have to automate. They have, also have to automate to keep up with the competition. So there's a lot of competitive advantages that come with, with automation. But I'm so surprised as I, as I go through my travels and come across companies that have not automated. They're, it's almost like they're, uh, you know, they're kind of putting their head in the sand and they're kind of waiting and watching. And I've seen this happen. I saw this play out in, in obviously one of the worst times of our economic uh, history in 2008, 2009, a lot of companies that were waiting, kind of waited for things to happen. And, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately went out of business because they didn't make proper changes and trying to save their, their company during a, you know, very slow period for our, our right. country. So what do you, 
what message would you give leaders that are listening now, the ones that have not embraced where manufacturing is going, just to give them a little bit of encouragement to, to start thinking differently? Well, this is probably a great example, yet another great example, I should say, of the 80-20 rule in practice. Probably, as you described it, 20% of the companies are have leaders that are bold and forward-thinking, and you know they they hire ahead of revenue. They you know they, you know they automate before they're they're the leaders of the industry. They're the thought leaders. They're the companies others follow, and probably a full 80% are the waiters. The well, let's not rush to judgment. Right. Let's don't spend the money if we don't have to. Uh, what if the trend doesn't uh, catch on? Uh, then we will have made that we will have made the move and we didn't need to. And and yet, who are the who are the category leaders? It's the 20 percent, not the 80 percent. So the 80 percent are always at risk of going out of business. And I think that would be message one I would send to, to leaders is, do you really want to be the company that it waited so long that the, either the opportunity evaporated or or you're facing bankruptcy in the worst possible case and it may never get to that level but you you may you know I, entrepreneurs and leaders of businesses don't just want to have a job they want to grow a business and an industry and and if you want if you want your competitors in in the rearview mirror instead of in your windshield where you're following them instead of leading them you got to get ahead of things, and so getting ahead of the problem and being a, a risk taker uh, is, you know, a calculated risk taker, not a foolish risk taker. is is an important step to being a leader. Your people depend on it. Their livelihoods, their families, their kids' college educations are in part dependent upon the decisions you make. And I, I just think that when you aspire to be a leader of a business, uh, what comes part of what comes with that is the willingness to make the tough decision, the bold decision that's going to upset a few people always, but it's 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 the the chance you got to take sometimes. And and um uh, you know, I've got I can't tell you how many leaders I've coached who are just they are the waiters and they have to be almost pushed. They need a coach. They need a group of other CEOs around them or a good coach to tell them or remind them of the dangers of waiting too long. Um, right. You see it in you see it in the investment community. You see it everywhere in life, where you know um, people wait too long. The opportunities passed, and um, you know then you look at the other companies. You look at the. I always like to read the books of the real bold risk takers, the Richard Bransons and the um, you know and the Nordstroms and the Ritz Carltons. And how did they get to be category leaders? What did they do that everybody else wasn't willing to do? They too probably saw the opportunity. They probably were faced with a decision, and and they made the conscious choice not to. Why did they not to? And why did these bold folks do it? Um, and you know. Um, there's so many you can look at, whether they're, you know, politicians, presidents, Lincoln, who made, who to me is the icon of presidents, of all presidents. He's the guy I look to. Um, but other business leaders and, and the, the, the tough, bold decisions they make, the risks they take, and, and, and then all, everybody else in their category, why did they wait? So uh, that's what inspires yeah. me is I like to look at the people who, who took the chance 
Uh, and, and sometimes it, it doesn't make me jump right away, but it makes me jump sooner than I would have. And, and that in right. itself is, is a win. No, that's, that's fantastic. I, I really appreciate it, Rick. This has been, I think, a, an interview and a podcast that I hope people will come back to when, when facing, you know, change and, and struggling as leaders. This has been, you know, very helpful for me, and I know the listeners are really going to appreciate it. So just talking about you, Rick, and your business, Soar with Eagles, how can the listeners get in contact with you if they're looking for, you know, maybe some additional coaching or a keynote speech, leadership training? What's, what's the best way for these folks to get in contact with you? Well, you're very kind to ask. Um, I could be contacted two ways. Um, the simplest is, would just be to shoot an email at uh, 24 hours a day, anytime, and I'll respond. Uh, email address is rick, R-I-C-K, at soarwitheagles.com, S-O-A-R, with eagles, E-A-G-L-E-S.com. Um, or a phone number, 770-391-9122. And um, my website, of course, is soarwitheagles.com. Another is they could, if, if, if they don't have an immediate need, but would just like to, say, stay in touch and hear new ideas periodically, I do a, a once-a-week uh, e-newsletter called the Two-Minute Monday Motivator. It shows up in your inbox every Monday morning. It's a short, quick read um, with kind of always based on a single idea. It could be on leadership skills or sales, sales ability or time management or relationship enhancement, just things I've learned through the years that I like to pass on uh, free of charge. And if anybody wants to sign up, they can um, they can either email me at that email address or they can go to my website. And page one on the website is a is an opportunity to sign up for the for that e-newsletter and uh, again the two-minute money motivator and if they sign up on my website they get a free ebook uh called seven life strategies and um i would be delighted for them to get that at no charge as well so those are ways that they can reach me and i do leadership training i do strategic planning retreats motivational speaking and all kinds of fun stuff i work with leaders and high achievers that's my target well that's awesome and i'll go ahead and also put all that that detail in the the podcast content. So for those of you that are listening, maybe you're driving, didn't have a pen to write this down. I will put that into the description of the podcast so you can click on um, the soarwitheagles.com link. I'll put your email, Rick, and phone number in there. And for those of you that uh, um, heard Rick's offer, the two-minute Monday motivator, I've been receiving that now since I think I first met you almost a year ago, Rick. And it's, it's a way I start my week. So I highly suggest that you go there sign up. It's not spam. It's very good quality information that it, it can't do anything but help you. So I encourage everybody to take advantage of, of Rick's offer. I right, thank um, you for that. Rick, thanks again. This was this was outstanding. I appreciate you taking the time and we look forward to having you back on the podcast here in the near future. I'd love to. Craig, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Automation Solution Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and give us a review. Also, please be sure to mention us to your industry colleagues. For more information on the solutions that Robex offers, check out our website at www.robex.us. Thanks again for listening, and until next time,